Well, I hate to tell you this. You have come to this topic that I consider one of the most awesome topics that you'll have the whole place time you're here. But unfortunately, your speakers are just sort of us. But you'll find out that if this can be done with us, that it can be done with you too. So this is the good news. Shall we pray and let the Holy Spirit take what we have to offer to make it something that is meaningful for everyone here? Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the one who is in control of everything that happens. That you can make our efforts, which are much too small, turn out to be like Gideon's efforts that were in great victories. Thank you so much for your willingness to be with us today as we consider how we can go about delivering your message and doing education in your name in a way that is the most effective that we can do it. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd like to do to start with is to tell you a story. This is a story that comes from God's word. So this is a story where I'm going to try as much as possible to give you the details exactly the way the Bible tells that story. And then after that, we're going to do some reviewing of things, and I'll tell you where we go from there. Background to this story. This story is toward the end of Jesus' ministry time. He had been in the city of Jericho. It's probably the time when he met Zacchaeus. And we know that shortly after this time, Jesus was going to march up the road to Jerusalem for the last time before his crucifixion. So this was a real significant time in Jesus' ministry. Are you ready for the story? Here it comes. Jesus had been in Jericho. On his way out of the city, he was with his disciples and a large group of other people. But there by the side of the road was a man named Bartimaeus. That means son of Timaeus. He was a blind beggar begging by the side of the road. Well, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus going by in front of him, he shouted out in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me! Well, the people around him said, Be quiet, Bartimaeus. You're making things difficult. But Bartimaeus cried out all the louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me! And Jesus stopped. And he called him. So the people around Bartimaeus said, Stand up! He's calling for you! So Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and he threw his robe and he ran over to where Jesus was and he said, What did he say? He said, Jesus said to talk to him first. Jesus said, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, I want to be able to see And Jesus said to him, Go, your 
faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he went down the road following Jesus. Now that's the end of our story. Can I step back through that a little bit just to make sure you didn't miss any of the details? When Jesus was leaving Jericho, was he by himself? No, not by himself. Who was with him? His disciples. Anybody else? Large crowd. Well, what happened when he started walking out of Jerusalem? I'm out of Jericho. There was a man named Bartimaeus. What was special about Bartimaeus? He was blind. What was he doing? Begging. Okay. And what did Bartimaeus do? He yelled out. What did he yell out? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did the crowd tell him to do? And what did Bartimaeus do? Yelled all the louder. So what did Jesus do? Called him. What did the crowd tell Bartimaeus? He's calling you. What did Bartimaeus do? Ran to Jesus. What did Jesus say to Bartimaeus? He said that later. What do you want, Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, please let me see. And then Jesus said something to Bartimaeus. Go. Your faith has has healed you. And what happened to Bartimaeus? He immediately was able to see And then where did Bartimaeus go? He followed Jesus down the road. You guys had known this story really well. If we had more time today, especially if we were in Africa, I would give you a chance to come up and have one of you retell the story to the whole group. How many of you think you could tell the story if I asked you to? See, a lot of hands. A lot of you know that you could tell the story if one of you did tell the story What would the rest of you be doing? You'd be testing your memory against the person who was telling it. So at that point, you'd have heard the story for the third time, right? So you'd be really good at answering questions. Let me give you an example of the kind of question you might ask. And I really want answers to this, okay? First question. What really impressed you about this story? Confidence in Jesus. Was it Bartimaeus' confidence or Jesus' confidence? Bartimaeus' confidence is what impressed you. Okay? What else impressed you about the story? His persistence. His persistence. Good. That Jesus went and said, What do you want? Hmm. Good. Aha. Jesus called him. And then healed him. So he had to come. Right. Good observation. Let me ask you a few more questions. Okay. What do you think would have happened 
if when people had gone, Bartimaeus had been very quiet and not said anything more. Hmm. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what would have happened, does it? But there's a possibility that Jesus would have said, well, he wasn't really serious. Another question. What do you think would have happened when Jesus said, what do you want? And Bartimaeus had said, oh, Rabbi, a good large contribution is exactly what I need. He was begging after all. Wasn't that what he was supposed to say? Hmm. Would that have spoiled everything? Another question. How do you think people treated Bartimaeus differently when he walked down the road at the end of the story as compared to the way they treated him at the beginning of the story? Do you think he had people who wanted to talk to him at the end of the story? So, there's a lot of things that you've observed about this story. Now what I'd like you to do is to sort of turn around in groups of four or five and talk to each other while I ask you a few more questions, okay? Just, just sort of group yourself into a group of four or five. You were in the right class, you just didn't know it. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Here's the first question for you to talk about in your group. Now let me explain what I'm going to do. When I do this, you're all going to want to keep on talking for much longer than we have time for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move you on to another question, which doesn't mean the person who's talking can't finish their answer, but then you move on to the next question. Because we really want to get through a number of application questions so you have a chance to hear a physical story too. Okay? First question. What application did you notice for yourself from this story? Let me move you on to a next question. I'm sorry, this would work really well if we had two hours, but uh, let me move you on to a new question. Bartimaeus, when he was told to shut up, kept on talking. When have you known what you needed, but when you were told to keep quiet, you shut up? And how did it affect what happened for you? I know that you'd love to keep on talking. Let me suggest another question. If Jesus were to look you straight in the eye and say, 
Susie, Joe, what would you like me to do for you? What would you tell Jesus? Next question. Next question. If, if some of you are wondering about, you wish you could write these questions down, we're going to give you a handout at the end of the time that has all the questions on it. Plus a bunch of others that we could have asked as well. One more question. What did you learn about God from this story? Okay, you have a new voice. <laughs> Gonna call you forward. Am I turned on? There, now I'm turned on. So you have just had an example of a Bible story, a way to teach spiritual truths through just telling a story and then talking about it. Storytelling can be used to teach health topics, all kinds of stories. So let me tell you a story that might be used in a village with um, a group of young mothers who haven't really had much good input on how to feed their children. Okay. Like many women in rural northern Mozambique, Atea Musa fed, gave her children water along with breastfeeding from the very day they were born. Her own mother told her that if she didn't give her baby water, well, their throat would dry out and they would probably die. So she did what was good for her baby, but getting clean water was really hard in Atea's village. They didn't have piped water into the houses, and the people didn't have toilets or latrines. Most households didn't, so there was a lot of, there was, sanitation was not good in their village. So what water was available always gave the kids diarrhea. And even when there was plenty of food to eat in their village, the kids had malnutrition as a result of having so much diarrhea. Well, when Atea was expecting her third child, there were some new ideas coming into her village. There, was, there were announcements on the radio about something about if you um, only breastfed your child, that that was good for the baby. That was interesting. And there was this village health worker who was going around, and she had classes about nutrition and about hygiene. And so Atea attended those classes, and the women would talk about them and some said that, that was kind of crazy stuff, but Atiyah sort of trusted this new teaching. So when her baby was born, it was a boy named Nelson, she only breastfed him for four whole months. And, you know, he did okay without water. He didn't die. In fact, he thrived. And by six months, Nelson was this chubby, happy baby, and he had rarely been sick, and he had not had diarrhea once in his whole life. And the other village women were, whoa, were kind of surprised, and they admired him, and they kind of envied him. And the village health worker was delighted. Sometimes visitors would come to that village and ask the health worker, how did she know if her program was really succeeding or not? What did she measure by? She would take him off and visit Nelson. 
So um, even the other women started really noticing and saying, well, maybe there's something to this. And other mothers began solely breastfeeding their children. In time, even the older generation, the grandmothers, began to say, well, maybe, you know, those old traditions, we should change them. There's something happening here. Our children are healthier. And even when they get sick, they don't get so severely sick. Things are better for the kids, and we like it the way they're growing. These days, the village health worker is just so pleased, and she walks through the village, and the other mothers come, and they say, they congratulate her, and they say, thank you so much for what you've done for our children. And Atea looks at her little growing Nelson, and she's delighted with the healthy start he's had in life, and she says, I hope he'll grow up someday to be a respected village nurse. And that's the end of our story. Now, let me just ask you some of the same, some of the same pattern that John used. Let me ask you, imagine that we're sitting in a village and we're a circle of people, and I've just told you this story about this other woman, Matea, from this other village. Let me just ask you a little bit about what did you hear in that story? Why did Atea want to give her child water? Her first two, that she was trying to do it. Why? Why? You can talk to me. Her mother said it would be good. And what would happen if she didn't? Okay, a baby throat could dry up. A kid could die. Then you don't want that. All right. Um, describe the water supply. You're supposed to give your baby water. Where are you going to get it? What was her water supply like? Toxic water, yeah. Pardon? Contaminated. A contaminated water, yeah, yeah. And maybe in the village setting, we would be talking about what made it sick-inducing, you know, producing diarrhea for the babies. What about that water was contaminated? How did it get contaminated? No latrines and, and, and hygiene was not a, a, a priority in that village. They didn't know about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a lot of learning that can start happening here, quite even, you know, talking about clean water and other things like that. Um, What kind of new ideas did Atea hear? Was she exposed to? We're just kind of walking back through the facts of the story. Exclusive breastfeeding. Exclusive breastfeeding. How did she hear that? Where did that information come to her? By what? Public health worker. On the radio, okay, okay. So she decided to do a big thing, which was to break with tradition, right, and do something new and different. How did the community health worker know that her program was succeeding? <laughs> she, she took him to see Nelson. Yeah, yeah, healthy babies. And more people learning. Okay, now, sitting in our group together, what do you feed your newborn babies? What do you think about that teaching that came from the grandmothers and, you know, the great-grandmothers, don't they know? 
What's good for babies? They grew us, after all, right? So you, we would discuss that. Yeah. And do young babies need other things than breast milk? Is that really enough? You know, we'd have to talk about that. And then the last question, well, so mothers, what would you like to do differently because of the story that we've heard today about Atea? Okay, so then we talk about change. That's a story from um, USAID, where lots and lots of stories, lots and lots of very good sources. But that's a story that those women or those people in the group that we've discussed can go home and tell somebody else very easily. It's not a 10-point bullet outline, got to remember. It's a story, and they are going to repeat that easily. And often in class, we'd say, now turn to each other and practice telling that story. Go home and tell it to two or three other people this week. Okay, we're going to switch mics here. I'm going to... Now, if, if you had been in an oral culture where things were always conveyed with stories, how do you think the effectiveness of a story and questions would have compared with the effectiveness of giving an outline or even a list of verses? Why would the story be more effective? Recall is better because that's what you're used to. You know what? We're, we're not so used to that here in the United States. But there are some experts here in the United States who are saying we are doing it wrong. There's a book that came out two years ago from Peter Gruber. Anybody have any idea who Peter Gruber is? He was the chief operating officer at Columbia Motion Pictures. He also owns the Los Angeles Dodgers and the um, Golden State Warriors. So he is not a small businessman. He's actually the, the managing director of Mandalay Industries now. His book is called Tell to Win because he says if you're trying to sell anything, if you try to do it without telling a story, you are wasting your time. And that's here in America. To people who are supposed to be sensitive to statistics and to outlines and to reasons, he says outlines and reasons are what we think convince people, but it really is a story that convinces people. So we may be wrong about the way we do things in many parts of the world. Now, if you're trying to do a clinic where you'd like to teach people how to change behavior, do you think you're going to convince them by saying there's cholera in the water? Or will you convince them better by saying, do you remember what happened to Anna when she drank the water? Do you remember what her diarrhea was like and her fever and how miserable she was? Do you want to be like that? More and more we are discovering that stories are where things are, are at. I am from Medical Ambassadors, 
when we give you the outline at the end, it will give you a little bit of a, a bit about who Medical Ambassadors is. But we are not the world's experts in stories. There are other missions that have been doing this a lot longer than we, and I'd like to refer you to their website so you can get some information from them. Those missions will also be on this sheet. The ones I'm going to refer to particularly are a group called Simply the Story. They do a great job of teaching people around the world how to use a story to do discipleship, to do evangelism, to basically spread God's word. They point out that 70% of the Bible is stories. And if you look for the greatest storyteller of all time, it was Jesus Christ. And if you wonder, what do you do with the other 30% of the Bible? Well, uh, I think it's 75% is stories. 25%, 15% is poetry. And it can be told as a story too. And even the epistles can be things where you give a story background and then read the letter that was written by the person in the story that you told. So it is really possible to use this as a method for teaching the whole Bible. Now, if you're in a village setting and you're trying to do discipleship and evangelism, which do you think people would be more eager to listen to? A recitation of the four laws or the story of the Good Samaritan? If you're in the United States, which do you think they'd be more eager to listen to? Which is going to have the greater impact on changing their life? I think that that what we're looking at is something where there's a real opportunity to do this. Let me stop for a second and let you ask some questions before we run completely out of time. love to do for people who are literate is to get them to reading the Bible itself. What we are finding around the world, people like Wycliffe Bible translators who work very hard in getting the Bible translated into a written version of people's language, is that sometimes the hurdle of translating the Bible is not as difficult as the hurdle of making people want to read the Bible you have translated. That therefore, what they have found is often very helpful is to get people to the point where they want to read the Bible. You have to give them samples of what the Bible has to say. And storying is a perfect way of saying the Bible is not a dull book. I have worked out questions like we used just now on close to 500 Bible stories. And the interesting thing to me is I've done 500 stories at this point. Guess which ones I found had really dull, sort of meaningless questions at the end. I have yet to find a Bible story that has dull, meaningless questions. (laughs) And I tell you, I haven't done any Bible stories from Leviticus, but I'm getting there. (laughs) 
Um, I tell you, the, the Bible is written in a way which is, which is really powerful. What we have done in the handout, and I, maybe it would be a good idea to pass the handout at this point. Um, the handout gives you a first page, which is instructions which are a shortened version of the instructions that uh, simply the story gives for telling stories. They don't call it Bible storying. They call it Bible storying style inductive Bible study. Do you think inductive Bible study is what you were doing together as you talked? How would you compare this kind of inductive Bible study with the time that you're used to from the past? What we usually do in the United States is we tell the story, draw the details out for review, then have a volunteer retell the story, and then everyone opens up their Bible to look at it directly in the Bible. Because one of the great dangers that people think of in Bible storying is that the story is going to slip and the details are going to get changed, so it will not be as accurate it would be if they read it. The problem is, when the Bible actually gets applied, it's applied based on what you remember from the story. And my experience has been that when you tell a Bible story, go through the details again and ask someone to repeat it, they're repeating it after they've gone through it two times, and I find that they usually can tell the story as well as I can read it, can tell it after I have read it three times and tried to tell it aloud three times. So there is something about the way human beings are wired that makes a story stick in their mind to remember. So the question is, which is the more critical thing? To have the story exactly right, when the, and that's the end of our story is read? Or to have it exactly right when people remember it the next day? I think both things are important. So I like looking it up in the Bible to see exactly what it said. But I think if we don't use the power of storying, people will remember less the next day. And that's important as well. Uh, there's an interesting thing that was done with a seminary program in the United States. A group of um, nationals from around the world who could speak English but had never learned to read either English or their own language. They were brought to the United States on a special scholarship to study learning the Bible. It was to be a master's degree in Bible stories. All their lessons were ones where their assigned professor would read them the story. He would give them some background to the story. He would ask them for questions about the details of the stories and then he'd have one of them repeat the story and then they asked each other these interpretation and application questions. Their homework was to go home and retell the story and re-ask the application questions and get it firmly in their head. The next day they would review that story and go on to another story and then another story. By the end of two years, they had done 800 Bible stories. 
And then that seminary did an interesting thing. They said, we give an oral examination to all our students, the ones who have written the papers, the ones who have read the books, as well as studied their Bibles the written way. And they gave everyone the same examination, which meant that the Bible storying students had to ask the questions about Bible theology and about how to preach and all those other kinds of things. The interesting thing was the people who'd been through the storying master's program did better as a group than any other group of 20 people in the school. They thought that was interesting. Then the professor who had been leading them said, I've been teaching here for 20 years. No, I guess it was 30 years. He says, in this 30 years, when have I seen a group of 20 students who have been so transformed by their seminary education? He says, I've never seen any group transformed like this. And then he thought, I've been teaching here for 30 years. When have I been as changed in the process of a year or two of teaching as I have in these last two years? Never has it been this transforming. And then he said, when have we had a revival on our seminary campus that's like what we have had these last two years when these seminary students have been here? And the word was never. So I think that this has something that has to do with the way we do Bible education around the world. It has something to do with the way we do discipleship and evangelism one-to-one with new believers. And it has something to do about the way we teach any kind of subject, health education or not, anywhere. Do you think maybe I'm convinced? Now, you have to recognize that there is a spectrum of people. There are some people who learn better from written and outlines than others. I will tell you, I went through medical school and I learned outlines and details well enough to get my MD. But I would learn a lot better this way. I don't know when they're going to come up with a storying process for MD degrees. (laughs) I think we have still a minute or two for questions. Obviously, it's easiest to to tell a story directly from a good translation of the Bible in that language because people work hard to make that language translation good. What I've been told is not all the translations of the Bible are equally good. There are some languages that have very awkward translations that almost anyone who's reading it in that language needs someone to interpret it into their modern-day usage. What we tell people when they're learning the story is to not memorize it, but to tell the story with the same facts, not leaving any facts out, not putting any new facts in, but to tell it as close to what they can as the way it was there in the Bible, but use their own words. It's supposed to sound a little like them as they're talking. So we really want to see that kind of thing happen. 
Um, but it, the translation of the Bible is helpful. If you have a good translation, it helps people get the, the meaning out in a way that is concise and easier for people to understand. In English, we obviously have a number of good translations that work well. You said that you've done multiple stories like this and everything. Are those available? Were you done those? If you'll send an email to me requesting those, I'll, I'll try to figure out a way to, to send a CD to you if you're willing to just pay the mailing costs for the thing for us to be able to send you a CD that has all 500 stories that we've done. One of the things that I discovered in Africa is that when you use this storying process but didn't give people questions to sort of prime the pump, these don't have to be the only questions they use, but if you don't give them some examples of stories, people who are not very familiar with inductive Bible story don't do it very easily. So it helps to do things like this. I have just done this for my personal devotions for the last four or five years, and that's where these questions come from. Um, I, I don't think that there is a big difference. Um, case-based kinds of things uh, are sometimes not chosen to be very interesting. Uh, stories as a whole tend to be more interesting than the average case study, but case studies can be very interesting if they're done well. But I think case, case studies is moving down the same path. The difficulty with case studies is, is people go into them looking at them as work or they look at stories as pleasure. And when we're, when we're trying to make people want to do something, having it framed in the pleasure category helps. Any more questions? Thank you very much. I think we are done. If you'll fill out your evaluations and leave them there at the back, that, that helps the organizers. <laughs>